everybody. Welcome to Flea Market Fantasy number 18. This is our big Christmas episode. I'm your co-host, Michael, and as always, I'm joined by... Michael Dell of the LCS Hockey Radio Show. So today's a very special episode because I have a special guest with us. This is the producer of the Comic Book Syndicate. She's been part of the cast and crew for, I think, 11 or 12 years. The better part of a decade. Yeah, more, more than a third or fourth of her life, if you can believe that. <laughs> a third um, or fourth. Yeah. Sure. yeah, we're not sure. So anyway, this is Jolie. Say hi, Jolie. Hi, everybody. Wait, it's G.I. Jolie. That's hi. right, G.I. Jolie. Oh, I gave away your secret identity. Yeah, you got to hide the identity. But right. Jolie, so good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, too. Yes. <laughs> I wish it was under better circumstances than this oh. book. That That's Mike Dell's thing. He likes to attack every comic I pick, no matter how good it is. Okay, so let's get started. <laughs> Jolie, <laughs> are you ever embarrassed at the quality of Mike L's comic book picks? Um, eternally. <laughs> well, this is one my of my favorites. So is embarrassment. This is going to be a fun conversation. Okay, so how do you want to do this? Now, just so everyone knows, this comic that we that I picked has many, many a story in it. It's about I don't yes. know how many. Eight? I'm not sure. Yeah, about seven too many. Hey, well, why don't you tell them what the comic book is, Michael? We haven't oh, announced it officially. But then they'll know how good it is. The comic is called <laughs> Christmas with the Superheroes, number two. Hey, Only Christmas. two of them were ever made. Anyway. <laughs> Christmas with the Superheroes number two. Uh, this is from what, 1989? Is that correct? 1989. You are correct. So when this came out, this was in the in the wake of you know Batmania and all that stuff. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah, yeah the, the big Batman movie had just come out. Now, uh, Jolie, did you have? We were chatting a little before the show. You actually own this book? Uh yeah. I think I scraped it out of the bottom of a bin for a quarter. <laughs> And I thought, oh, look at all those jolly little elves on the cover hanging out yes. with the Justice League. That's worth, like, that's worth this <laughs> this shiny silver loony. Wait, sorry, quarter. <laughs> I think it's worth three sixty five Canadian, which is what I paid in 1989. Holy hell. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover price. Three. I didn't even notice that. That's pretty pricey for 1989, right? It was, but it was worth it. I saved up for it. It was, Ooh. uh... <laughs> a lot of pages. I guess. Uh, let's talk about the cover here real quick. Jolie mentioned that there's a bunch of elves, uh, and they're in like Santa's workshop with all the superheroes. Yeah, um, you know what? I don't actually mind the cover. Like really? all comic books, the cover is what draws you in, and it's a filthy, filthy trick. <laughs> I actually, I, to be honest, I hate this cover. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I like like the texture of some of the items, but the the way the superheroes are drawn is really poor. Um, I do like the idea of what they're doing, but I don't like the actual drawing. Why do the elves all have like dots in the middle of their forehead and on their cheeks? Because it's it's where they are the most rosy. <laughs> Apparently, that's weird. Looks like they have some sort of abnormal growths. Oh yeah, like a reverse uh, ventiligo. And then, uh, so we got all the superheroes here, and they're making toys and stuff with Santa. And we got Plastic Man, Flash, Hawkman. First, dig Wonder Woman, man. She's like what the kids like to say is thick. <laughs> she, she, is, is, she is childbearing hips in this image. Yes, yeah. very much. And then uh, look at Aquaman's hair. What is going on there? Not sure. That's a good point. He's also, if you notice, his costume is a little bit lower cut than usual. He's got <laughs> yes. a V going there. It is very low cut. It's right into the cleavage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we go Batman and Nightwing. I don't know what's going on there with Nightwing and Batman. That's a little creepy. Yeah. Um, like ho even Hawkman's mask looks ridiculous. Uh, we got S Superman. Yeah, so everyone's there. Uh, now, I looked up. Do you know who the artist is here, Mike L? You know, I actually don't know because I can't see his signature and I can't. Oh, it's someone Mulseed or yeah, Mulsetti. I looked it up, and uh, I guess two guys were credited with it, and uh, okay. so I'm sure one was the anchor, but uh, neither one was very prominent in DC. They they just did a handful of, of things. So okay, um, yeah, I mean it's a cover full of uh, non-existent creatures existing and creating teddy bears with another handful of non-existent creatures. So, <laughs> but the other key detail here on the cover is uh, right above the title there. It says "All New." Yes, there's, there's some pixies up there and stuff. 
says all new because Mike, you explained to me the last time that this is uh, obviously an issue two of this, the two issue run and issue one you said was all reprints. That's correct. That's correct. So they wanted to make sure the kids out there knew this was all new. Exactly. We hired people to write yeah. stories. And just so you know, I do have Christmas with the Superheroes number one. Uh, yeah, I, I had a guess you probably did. Now, let me ask you this, Michael. Do you have that issue number one handy or, or do you remember what the cover was? Because I looked at the cover oh. and, and it's a bunch of superheroes around a Christmas tree. And I don't recognize one of the superheroes. Do you want me to look it up quick? Well, I mean, if you, I mean, if you can, but you know, if you Google it up, but uh, I mean, we have Google. It's pretty quick here. Yeah, it's like the uh, Justice League, and then there's a guy in the back uh, with the tree. I'm guessing he might be one of those Legion of the Superhero kids. Oh I've, yeah, I've never That's seen Wildfire. Him. Wow, so he is a Legion of Superheroes fella. Yes, he is. Yep. Wildfire. Now it seems weird that he's there, right? Like it's like, how did he get in? Well, you gotta... you, that's a great point. I think the only reason is because there is a Legion of Superhero story in the issue, and whereas they okay. could have used anyone in the Legion, maybe John Byrne just liked that character, so we threw him in there. Yeah, he just seems strange. Like he yeah. doesn't belong. But yeah. anyway, all right. At least I learned something. Wildfire. All right. Costume designed by Dave Cockrum for the record. Oh, there you go. Yeah. How about that? Um, Jolie, uh, by the way, we usually when we have a guest on, we always ask, uh, how did you get in comic books? I, I got to tell you, Jolie, when we when Michael told me you were going to be a guest on the show, I just assumed right out of the gate, oh, we're going to talk Archie. Oh, like this show? <laughs> yeah, like when you're coming on. I'm, no, 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 the comic book. Didn't you, you grew up reading Archie? Uh, I grew up reading everything. I just, the moment that literacy clicked on in my brain, I read anything I could get my hands on, and that included comics. So uh, they had a place right beside magazines at the grocery store, so if I could grab it, it was in the cart. Wow, how about that? Do you remember what, like, the first thing you uh, really loved in comics? Like, what the first issue was that really won you over? Not really. Um... It was like the one that the standouts, I have standouts. I don't remember the first issue I read. Like I would really, really have to think about this because I started reading at a very young age. Um, the standouts for me were just the characters. So I would say like Katie Keene and the Pussycats where you're like big. I okay, really hold on one out. second. Hold on one second. I have no idea who Katie Keene is. Mm, they're like side characters. They're like um, side stories that like, you know how you they – She's a supermodel. They, oh. they would write. They would write backups for these Archie comics when they did the, the like magazine style ones. And the moment I discovered these backup stories outside of the digest format, I like fell in love with those characters instead. So we had like Sabrina, we had Katie Keene, and then there was like Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, and then, okay. yeah, suddenly like, I just I didn't like any of the regular staple characters anymore. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Now, did you have a preference for DC or Marvel at all? Not even in the slightest. Um, no. I I mostly only heard about. Uh, I was one. I was one of those kids that I was never. I never had an education in the difference between the two. So they were just they they were just icons in my mind. It was just names. They didn't belong to one house or another. <laughs> That's a shame, because uh. I'm Team Marvel, of course. <laughs> yes, we know that well. <laughs> so, anyway, all right. Well, there you go. There's the background of Jolie getting into comic books. All right, Michael, uh, why don't you take it away? Explain uh, what we got here with Christmas with the superheroes. So, as we said earlier, we've got a bunch of different stories, but the opening story is by a feller named Paul Chadwick, who I'm sure you'll you've done some research on. And you can talk about no, later, right? I have huh? not done any research for any of these. Are you kidding me? No, because there's too many. There's like 30 creators. What, I'm not researching. Okay, so I'll just tell you right now, Paul Chadwick, um, it, he started out as an artist at Marvel, and he drew the last two or three issues of um, Dazzler. Oh, okay. Okay. So, but he had ideas for a character that he wanted to use for um, Epic Illustrated, and instead of publishing it through Epic, which was owned by Marvel, he decided to bring it to Dark Horse. So he kept all the rights to the character, blah, blah, blah. And it was called Concrete. And uh, for those that don't know, Concrete is kind of a more adult or serious take on the concept of the thing. 
Fantastic Four the Thing. So instead of a guy made out of orange rocks, it's a guy trapped in the body of kind of like someone, it's like organic concrete. And it's not a superhero book. It's more like, you know, an HBO show or just a, a drama about someone that has, happens to have a concrete body. And anyway, it's really good. So oh. this, as far as I know, is the only work he ever did for DC, to my knowledge. And so in this story, it's basically a guy whose car is broke down by the side of the road. And he's on the verge of freezing to death because it's so cold and no one's stopping to help him, blah, blah, blah. So he gets into his car and pulls out a revolver yes. um, that is loaded with bullets. And then he writes, you know, a miniature suicide note that says, I'm sorry, but no one will stop. And I just can't stand the cold. And he's getting ready. He puts the gun right up to his chin. He's about to pull the trigger. Yep. And lo and behold, knock, knock, who is at his car window but Superman. <laughs> That's exactly so, right. Yeah. So Superman gets into the car with them and. And it's, it's kind of a cool thing because he uses his heat vision to warm him up and then yes. he uses heat vision to it's, warm up the engine. Sorry, go ahead, Mike Dell. Well, this is all very creepy what's happening here. Uh, well, well, he he shows up and he knocks on the window like a uh, a uh, space – well, I was going to say space hooker, like our Star Wars issue. But no, he's like a Winterland prostitute. He knocks on the door and he says, hey, uh, may I get in with you? And the guy's like, yeah, sure, I guess. And then Superman looks over at him and goes – are you as cold as you look? I could warm you up. Yeah, I know, I know. And the guy's like, but please. <laughs> and he starts looking at him, and he's using the heat ray vision on him. And the guy's like, ah, I can't tell you how good. <laughs> this is so weird. I know, I know. <laughs> so weird. I thought I'd never be warm again. <laughs> well, in the original version, they actually disrobe and get into a, like a, a sleeping bag together, but they couldn't use that version. So. It's Superman, male prostitute. It is. <laughs> So, yes. So it, uh, it's cool because so he, he's warming this guy up with his heat vision, but then he's also warming up the engine. But he says that it'll take longer to warm up yeah. the engine because he doesn't want the battery to crack or whatever, the generator to crack. And so that gives them time to have a little chat, right? Yes. This is Superman. Sorry, were you going to say something, Mike Dell? Oh, I, I should say also this is called Ex Machina. Right. Title of this little story. And that's a literary device where, you know, like a solution just comes out of nowhere. Like a right. Thought, you know, so... Uh, boom, Superman shows up at the door, or at the window, knocking on the window, just out of nowhere to save the day. Yep. Mm -hmm. So there you go. If a gigolo that was shaped like <laughs> Superman walked up to any one of my doors casually and knocked, I wouldn't turn him away either. Invite <laughs> him right on in. Yeah. <laughs> the Christmas miracle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Mike Al, so Superman starts talking to the guy and the, the guy's life is falling apart he, he just right. got uh, officially divorced or at least separated and he helped his wife move in somewhere else and, and he's an older fella right. you know, he's uh, late Elderly. 50s I would say and uh, he's also got some sort of incurable disease yeah right? it, just, it just keeps getting worse yep. yeah good lord so what does Superman do so Superman basically gives him a little pep talk yeah. And um, kind of convinces him, you know, not A, not to kill himself, and B, that, um, you know, he should try to find something to do for Christmas. And so he finds out that the guy has a daughter, but then the guy says that he hasn't spoken to his daughter in years. And so Superman basically says, well, you know, I'm sure she'd still be happy to see you and blah, blah, blah. And so finally... The guy relents and is like, okay, well, you know, I'll follow your advice. And, and at, at the end of the conversation, Superman says, I'd like to think I didn't stop here for nothing. So the guy's kind of thinking and he's like, okay, well, you know what? I'll call her. So then Superman fix, uh, finishes fixing up the engine. And then he, uh, he basically, um, it is between the lines, but he offers this guy to drive to. Yeah, he doesn't want him to be alone on right. Christmas. Because, you know, you know, just in case your daughter doesn't want to see you, I get it. But I know these really two, these two really cool older, this really cool older <laughs> couple, just take the next exit. Yeah. Call them. Let them know that Superman sent you. And they will <laughs> gladly, like, stuff you with turkey. Like, so, how nice is that? So then he, so then, and there's also a cool thing where Superman has the gun in his hand. You see him squeeze his hand. And then as he's flying away, the pieces of the revolver are all falling behind him. Then the last mm -hmm. panel... You see the guy driving. It says Exit Twenty, Smallville. So obviously he's going to Monpa Kent's house, right? Yeah, and like Monpa Kent, they're just enjoying their evening all by themselves, having a nice time. And then some creep shows up. And like, 
Why do we got to put up with this guy? Thanks, Superman. Thanks a lot. Do you think Superman's on his way there or was just there? I He said he was going to call him to let him know. <laughs> so, but here's what, well, I, I, here's what a little, confused me a little bit. Like this car, he fixes it up momentarily. But he says, like, uh, you know, you still got to get your V-belt fixed. And it's going to be tough to uh, do on Christmas uh, night. You won't be able to get too far on just your battery. Um, so... Basically, what if Superman flies away and like the car stalls out ten feet down the road and the, well, guy's the guy's he's going to kill himself, obviously. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I that's what I'm concerned about. Stab himself with the sh- leftover shards of the right. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey Superman, car. why don't you just pick up the car and fly him to Ma and Pa Kent's house, or, or fly him to a garage that can fix the car? But no, he's like, sure. yeah, have fun driving on these icy roads all the way to Smallville. <laughs> I'll see you later, chump. And he just flies away. It's probably best not to think about it too much because you're right. He could have just solved this in like a millisecond and just flew him to where he wanted to go anyway. But oh well. So, so in my version of the story, in my head, uh, the car stalls out and he does end up killing himself. Oh, yeah? Okay. Or freezing to death, which is also nice. <laughs> yes. At least it spares Ma and Pa Kent the trouble of putting up with him. Oh, man, oh. that's terrible. Yeah. Feeding that third extra unnecessary mouth. <laughs> Yes. Oh. <laughs> Annoying. Hearing him yap about his failed marriage all the oh, No, I don't want to hear this. It's Christmas. Well, anyway. do you know what? It's really, do you know what I find really funny too is that, or kind of strange, I don't know, is that not only is he on his way from um, moving his wife, but like the next, not the next story, but the story after that, which is Wonder Woman's story, uh-huh. is the story of a woman who's newly divorced and she's <laughs> at someone else's house. I was like, are these two connected? I don't know. Uh, oh, do you if think are, like... This, if they are, this means that this guy's a minister of yeah. the church. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. I, but don't that's, I never thought of that, but that's that would be much better if they were connected. But yeah, I don't think they are. Yeah. I don't think they are. But I did notice that they were both divorced. Yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> Maybe let's let's go to the Wonder Woman. Let's jump ahead and talk Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, are we skipping the uh, Batman let's, story? Let's save Batman. Yeah, we'll come back to Batman after Wonder okay. Woman. But, yeah. But okay. since Jolie did bring it up, we oh, or Mike, I was at the bottom of the pile and then move onwards. <laughs> and surely Wonder Woman's is the next stinker. So, <laughs> well, Mike, is there anything else you'd like to say about that Superman? Story? Well, only that Paul Chatham is one of my favorite writers, and that's one of my favorite Superman stories. But let's jump to wow. Wonder Woman. Yeah. All right. Well, it's not one of my favorite, but it's definitely one that I can read and reread. I mean, one of the things I don't like about most superhero comics is so many of the stories rely on continuity and crossovers and all that stuff, right? And at least this is a story you can just read without knowing anything else about Superman, right? Yeah, I suppose the heart is in the right place with that story. Yeah, I definitely like it. Now, I'm not going to say anything about one Woman. I'll let Julie take it, but it is good. But one of the things is I don't know who any of these characters are, so that's one weakness about it. But, Julie, if you want to – do you want to do the uh, plot summary on this one? Um, I can barely I, – I can I barely know who these people are, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what is happening when we are first introduced to everything, but it looks like she's having some kind of fever dream about the mascara. I'm not sure. I don't know what's going on. And then it goes right into the very first, like, page of the action in a story called Gifts by Eric Shanor. Oh, like, there's tons of great people on this story. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, Mark Wade is the editor. Uh, But it's just not, like, it's just really strange. It's like a, it's, um... It, it's a long long story short they're all converging on this one house I don't know what the purpose of this home is I don't know how these characters are inter- interconnected there's a woman who's just newly divorced her husband is you know a minister she's afraid about leaving the rest of the congregation because of what's happening because divorce means that they have to move to a different one and then they have another uh, this other curly haired woman who they refer to as princess sometimes the daughter? Yeah. Yeah, so the uh, lady's daughter, yeah. Yeah, so she's obsessed with Wonder Woman. And yeah. then somehow they're also all expecting Wonder Woman as a guest as well. And the four of these women are going to spend the holidays together. And they share they share stories with each other. Um, and then she kind of shares her story with Wonder Woman. And then, you know, Wonder Woman 
they, like they listen to carolers. They just do very like overtly group of women things like drink wine and eat all night. Like, <laughs> and they gossip and they talk about their lives and like they wash dishes. One <laughs> is devoted to them washing dishes. Get in like, the kitchen, ladies. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it's it's it it unfolds almost like a home the way that Hallmark movies look now or like romantic comedies where there's like you know uh, female camaraderie it, like there's a scene where there's a silhouetted figure in the dark in a window <laughs> and uh-huh. another one of the uh, a ladies who you know just has some last minute surprises to sneak under the tree just like comes upon her and then they have like a very uh, inspirational chat like it's all very very formula and uh and then the chat ends up inspiring the woman the divorcee the to, newly divorcee divorced minister's wife to basically look on the bright side and so you could say that this story is the equivalent of an inspirational quote you know laid over top of the shot of like you know the ocean or a mountain or something, right? <laughs> yeah, basically the, the divorce lady. By the way, the reason that she had to get a divorce, her minister husband, he, he was running around with another lady from the congregation. That's right. Of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so she tells Wonder Woman her story. And Wonder Woman, uh, Wonder Woman has a lot of insecurities, right? She's like feeling like, uh, I don't know, she's, she's having issues with like her God-like uh, uh, history or her background, the other gods or something. I don't know what's going on. But she doesn't feel like a Wonder Woman. She doesn't feel like a hero. And when she's talking to uh, the lady, the lady helps her. And then at the end, Michael, uh, the other lady tells the divorce lady, it's almost like you have a superpower. No, she no, he says, you sound like some kind of superhero. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. There you go. Wink, wink. <laughs> now, if you, if you can go to uh, page three of this story, I believe. Okay. Uh, by the way, it sounds like you guys are fighting over there. The, the microphone's getting hit a lot. Oh, you know what? It's probably because the comic is on top of the laptop. Oh, that, that's I don't know where the microphone is on this thing. But yeah, I'll take the comic oh. off. Oh, yeah, that might help. Um, <laughs> but uh, like, it's on page three. So right when the lady first shows up in the house and the other lady's taking her coat off and she's crying and they hug. If you look at the one panel there on the right, that's Donald Trump hugging her. <laughs> I will concur. It is Donald Trump. You're right. It's, I, I can't tell. The orange is so faded in his But Man, that's that's Donald Trump's haircut, at least. I know that much. So there you go. All right, so that's Wonder Woman. Yeah, not well, the best story, I would say. Well, it's, I'll just say, I don't know much about Eric Shanower, but he did do, I believe, a, a Wizard of Oz adaptation as well as some other stuff. I really do like this art. I think he's a great artist. Um, no, I, think, I don't like the art. You don't like the art. I, I really like, see. This is George Perez era, so I think it kind of fits in with George Perez. Um, and these, I believe, the mother and the daughter are some regular supporting characters in Wonder Woman at the time. Um, so that explains that. Um, I, yeah, I, don't, I would imagine they are just the way yeah. and everything. But yeah. I don't think the story is great. It's kind of like um, I don't know. Maybe you'd call this. You're you're an English major. You'd call this like portraiture, right? Um. Nope. <laughs> never never okay. heard that before. Okay, basically, it's just one of those stories where nothing really happens, but and, and then, but they but they make it seem like something happens by the woman learning a lesson, you know, and she's gonna turn her. It's kind of like I said, it's like it's the equivalent of the inspirational quote, or you you read the quote, but you don't actually change your life or do anything different, you know, but you feel better about yourself because you read the quote, and that's yeah. basically what the story is. So it's kind of an attempt at being. A, a drama instead of a superhero story, but it ends up being like Jolie said, like a Hallmark movie. Yeah, and I guess you know Christmas brought them together, though. Yeah, but all, and also I should point out, not, I don't want to make light of this, but the daughter character, I believe, I believe she went on to kill herself in what? Wonder Woman. I'm not kidding. Yeah, I think the young girl did. I think she committed suicide later on. Holy hell! Where was Superman? Yeah. <laughs> in a cold-ass car. Oh, yeah. All right, Michael. Well, let's go back to the Batman story, the second story. Sure. Uh, it's called And in the Depths. Oh, um, oh. Hey, this one, um, I don't really like it. It's written by... Wow. Yeah. It was written by Dave Gibbons, who, of course, everyone knows from... Um, Watchmen. Watchmen, yes. He drew Watchmen. And it's drawn by Gray Morrow, who I'm a big fan of. He's a really good artist from this time. Uh, he did a lot of work for DC. 
it's not really a story. It's more like a poem. Um, well, not a poem, but you know what I mean. Sort of like a poem. Um, and and it's from the almost from the point of view of this of, of the Batcave. And it's kind of yeah. Yeah, kind of. And it's starting back in basically, I guess, ancient ancient times. Uh, and you can see um, the through the um, entrance to the Batcave, you're seeing like the environment change over time. Like there's trees, then there's like an ice age, then there's something else. Then you see bats come in. Because the earth has evolved, but the mouth of the cave never does. Yeah. Like, well, anyway. and then you yeah. see a Native American sitting there, you see a, a pilgrim, and one of the, the themes running through this is that everyone's afraid to go into the cave, right? And then finally it gets to a part where you see a bunch of bats chasing a rabbit into the cave, and then followed by a young Bruce Wayne who falls down and, you know, now kind of switches point of view, and, and Bruce Wayne is looking at the rabbit that's been bit by the bat, and Bruce Wayne is scared. And then it kind of goes from there, and then it's kind of following Batman through his life. And you see Bruce Wayne. You see a really cool shot of Alfred and Bruce Wayne assembling, you know, the primitive stages of the Bat Cave with just like, you know, almost like a filing cabinet kind of and like a computer. They're not putting together their home computer there. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know what that is. But yeah, it's like a 1980s computer. It's the Bat server. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they introduce um, what looks like Dick Grayson. And then, you know, of course, I guess they have a Christmas tree in the Batcave. Assuming this is all still taking place in the Batcave, there's a Christmas yep. tree. Robin's got his Robin costume. There's the old 1950s Batmobile. And then, you know, we see the evolution. Now we're seeing, you know, the famous giant dinosaur, the giant penny, the Joker card, all of the famous trinkets in the Batcave. We see the crime computer. And then it kind of just goes from there. And then Bruce and uh, sorry, Batman and Robin are all happy. Alfred's happy, but then things start to change, and Dick Grayson's getting older. And then Dick Grayson just decides to leave Batman and go off to college or whatever. And now Batman's by himself. And yep. then uh, taking the spirit of Christmas with him. <laughs> yep. And then they show a scene of Batman coming home from a crime or whatever yeah. he was doing and being injured. Well, I, I think what happened there is he ate some bad chili. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> And then um, he's doubled over, grasping his side. Yeah, and then um, and then basically now, I mean, and the thing now, the important thing to know about the story is it came out within, I believe, either six months or a year from a death in the family where Jason Todd, the second Robin, had been killed. So at this point in Batman, there was no Robin, right? And so it's a little bit confusing because. The Robin that they showed was Dick Grayson, but now they're kind of making this allusion to this Robin flying into the cave and landing. And you see all these, um, what are these called, like blankets or whatever, are covering up the back computer and all the tables and stuff. And it's all dark and dingy. And then we see um, a, bat, a bat is in the cave, but the bat is scared away by the Robin, right? And the Robin is... is um, standing in front of the Robin costume. So obviously that's supposed to be the idea that, you know, this represents Robin, the other one represents Batman, the light, the dark, blah, blah, blah. And then the Robin flies away. And then the last little thing says, for without darkness, light has no meaning. And long though the night has been, it cannot last forever. Yeah. And sure enough, within a few months, there was a new Robin in the form of, what was his name? Oh, geez, I can't remember his name. Robin Tree. Dick, uh, no. Uh, Todd? No, not Jason Todd. Tim Drake. There you go. Oh, there. Tim Drake. Yeah. All right. Well, that story. I'm surprised you didn't like this, Michael. I thought you would have swooned over this. I mean, it's okay, but I, it just it's a little bit pretentious for my taste. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, wow. All right. <laughs> um, I like the art. I thought it was uh, a lot of heavy shadows and uh, a lot of black, but I like it. The art was really good. Um, yeah, Gray Marl is a great artist. I think he did like like vampire stuff and stuff like that. And it seems about, that seems fitting. Yeah. It would seem like that kind of thing. Almost like a horror comic. Totally. <laughs> the art. But, Maybe yeah. he even did an issue of I vampire. We but I like, I like what he does with the panel designs and the way the pages are set up. Um, Absolutely. Interesting things. Yeah, uh, Jolie. Really weirdly out of place for like a Christmas book. Yes. That's the other thing. When I read this, I was like, wait, this is a Christmas story. I, I get that they put a Christmas tree in the back of some panels, but this isn't exactly cheerful. <laughs> no, no, it's not. 
And it's like, this is, ex- but also, is this not exactly how you would expect Christmas at the Batmans to be? Like, <laughs> the Batmans. <laughs> Bruce Batman. <laughs> A Batman Christmas yeah. is just as dark and dreary as you would hope and suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> All right, on to the next stinker. <laughs> yes. Oh, do you know what? Not re. Oh, okay. Never mind. This one is my <laughs> least favorite. So this next one is called Silent Night. It's written and drawn by John Byrne, and it's finished by Andy Kubert. Andy Kubert is the son of Joe Kubert, who is an industry legend, and one of the things he's famous for is war comics. And I believe he was the creator or one of the most important uh, writer artists who worked on a character named Enemy Ace. And so this story is meant to emulate the look of Joe Kubert. And I've read it a whole bunch of times, and i got to say, I don't really understand what happens at the end. <laughs> right. I don't know if you do, Mike. I, I actually, this was probably one of my favorite stories in the book. Probably okay. my second favorite. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And we should mention, it? Uh, yeah, Joe Kubert, uh, he created this character, like you said, because this story is based on Enemy Ace. Yeah. The Enemy Ace. And that's basically a ripoff of uh, the Red Baron. Baron von Richthofen from the old uh, World War One, you know the Snoopy and the Red Baron, that guy. Sure, yeah, <laughs> that's what it's based on. So yeah, it's called Silent Night, and the uh, big selling point of this is there's no dialogue, no words, right. nothing. It's silent, right? Yeah, no narration at all, no boxes, nothing. Uh, it's just art, and it, you you did mention it was drawn by John Byrne, and yeah, like if you were just to show this to somebody, I don't know if they'd recognize John Byrne right away because it right. seems like he tried to. Like you said, draw maybe like a little like Hubert or whatever. But uh, there are some hints that you can say, oh, yeah, that's John Byrne. But um, so basically this is at a field hospital in World War One, a British field hospital, because you can tell by the Red Cross symbols on the the nurses and stuff. And uh, these there's a guy who's wounded and he's drawing a uh, picture and he draws a picture of the Red Baron. This enemy ace guy is playing. And one of the one of the other injured guys comes over and knocks the pictures out of his hands. Say, "Yeah, how dare you uh, celebrate this guy? He's mm-hmm. he's murdered all our buddies." Because then they show a, a panel on the uh, on the wall of like uh, all the names of the people who have been missing or shot down. And he's like, "You know, you can't be celebrating this guy." And they we also see a shot of the kitchen, and mm-hmm. it shows how many days it's been since they've had uh, supplies. And the cook is making up uh, just a can of beans for dinner. Uh-huh. So that's because not so- there's a countdown for that, or a count yeah. up, which is strange. But anyway, well, they're saying hey, we haven't had supplies in 45 days. Hey, Larry, how long has it been since we've had supplies? Let me check the wall. <laughs> Five days. Yeah. So the- well, that, that's a case of uh, poor storytelling because it's supposed to be silent, but they got to have a sign on the wall, right? But anyway, yeah. well, yeah. Well, actually, actually, that's actually excellent storytelling because how else can you convey that unless you you put these little clues in the walls and stuff. Um, and then, uh, so the guys had to fight, the injured, uh, soldiers had a fight over the, the one guy drawing the pictures of, uh, the Red Baron. And, uh, so everything's, oh, everything's traumatic now, but then, oh, the guy cups his hand to his ear and the nurse freaks out. They can hear something coming. It's an airplane. Uh, are they under attack? Oh no, look, it's enemy ace. It's the Red Baron himself. The guy coming in here, he lands his plane. He's here. He's the enemy. The guy who's killed us all. What's he going to do? Oh, he pulls out a, a package of food. Look at that. And he hands it to him. He says, here you go. Here's some food for your Christmas dinner. And he's about to leave. And the nurse says, no, why don't you come in and have dinner with us? So they cook up this big turkey that enemy ace brought to him. They're playing some music. The nurse is dancing with them. Everyone's having a grand old time. And then enemy ace notices on the wall all the, uh, all the dead guys, all the list mm-hmm. of dead and missing. And he looks at the, and, and, he, and he notices all the names. He looks at them and he salutes them. <laughs> But then the, the guy who had drawn uh, the Red Baron's picture earlier, he sneaks up behind him with a gun, and he's going to kill him. And Enemy Ace just stands there, looking at him. Just staring at him, Michael. He's not worried yeah. at all. And now the other guy, the guy with the big handlebar mustache who uh, had gotten all mad that the guy with the gun was drawing pictures of the Red Baron earlier, he stops him. And he says, no, nah, you don't kill him. And he's like chastising him. He's like, you know, this is Christmas, damn it. We're having a dinner. Well, we're, we're loving everybody. And uh, so the enemy ace goes to shake that guy's hand, and the guy says no, and he just points to the door and tells him to leave. So enemy ace leaves, flies away, and that's the end of the story. 
Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. No, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I guess that's what was confusing me is I, I don't know anything about Enemy Ace. I didn't know quite what was going on, but it was good, though. It was solid. Yeah, knowing who Enemy Ace is really helps. Because, <laughs> uh, I didn't know either, and I had mm -hmm. to look it up. And I'm like, people, and uh, yeah, so, but once you put it all together, it's like sure. a little puzzle. You got to figure out what the hell's going on. <laughs> so I kind of like it. And but I yeah. do like, yeah, I like Joe Kubert's inks because it does make it, it gives it that, or sorry, Andy Kubert's inks because it gives it that Joe Kubert vibe. I really like that. Yeah. And uh, notice the story is kind of framed by that picture of the, the downed airplane, too, in the that's background. Great. Yeah. So that's nice. But, um, yeah, so I enjoyed it. Julie? Um, I would say that uh, I enjoyed it the most out of all of the stories. Not to say that I enjoyed it a lot, but, like, it wasn't the worst. It was the best of the worst. <laughs> um, uh, because there was, like, without... Without the text, without the dialogue, it forced it forced you to uh, figure out what the story was. Yes, and which which was really easy. Um, I, I don't know who Enemy Ace is either. I didn't bother to look it up, but you realize once you see all the iron crosses he's adorned with that he is the enemy. So, he, like, there's a lot of. Um, there's a lot of symbolism drawn into it. There's a lot of uh, a lot of the expression and the hints um, kind of push the story along, and it's it's a and it's a really good example of Christmas storytelling. <laughs> yeah. I think I just thought he was maybe like a ghost because uh, I was like, are they seeing the ghost of him? Because they keep coming back to this downed airplane, mm -hmm. but maybe it's. I'm not like I wasn't sure what the symbolism was other than to like remind well, you of war. <laughs> well, that that downed airplane was one of the planes that he had shot down because it's mm. a that's an ally plane there or a, a good guy plane. <laughs> they weren't the allies. I don't think. But yeah, so uh, it just shows you that he's the guy who, who's killed all these people. Yet on Christmas, they come together mm. as one as the uh, as a human family of uh, fellow humans <laughs> to enjoy Christmas. Um, At Christmas, we all need to eat, and then yeah. we get back to the bloody business of war. <laughs> Although I should point out, Michael, that in this entire issue, there is not one punch is thrown. You know, that's exactly why I love it. That's why I love DC. And, I don't know. I feel like those two were really going at it. They Almost, were, they were close, but not one punch was thrown. But I think it is. I mean, even at Christmas time, like I'm pretty sure. That baby Jesus dropped one of the wise men with a left hook. <laughs> so I would appreciate some fighting. You know, I would like some punches. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Christmas or no Christmas. Yeah, I want I mean, a brawl. One, I think one small woman pushed out a baby with no meds. I would have punched somebody too. <laughs> it was a manger. It was, they didn't have meds. What could they do? Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So next, uh, Michael, roll call. All right. So this is this story is written by, <clears throat> pardon me, Bill Lobes, aka William Messner Lobes, who at the time I believe was the regular writer on the Flash. He also wrote Wonder Woman for a while, and he's actually I think a Michigan native. So I've met him a couple times. He's a really cool guy. Um, the art is by uh, Colleen Doran, who was a fairly big artist at the time. She's also a Facebook friend. I love her art. And the inks oh. are by Ty Templeton, who I've also met. Ty Templeton is, I believe, a Toronto native. He is definitely Canadian, and he has a long history with DC drawing Justice League International. He did a lot of the Batman Adventures comics, which were based on the animated series from the 90s. So Ty Templeton usually does... Uh, stories that are intended for either younger audiences or more retro stories, right? Like stuff like this. Because even though this is 1989, at this point, uh, both of these characters were dead. I, or no, uh, I believe, sorry, Flash was dead, Green Lantern was not dead. But this is definitely supposed to take place approximately in the 1970s when the Justice League was living in their satellite and all that stuff. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think that's how it's even introduced. It's like long before the JLI, there was the JLA, and right. here they are hanging out with their feet up, kicking back because it's Christmas time. And mm -hmm. I have to say, this is probably like 
I liked the war story. Mm-hmm. It felt, you know, very 1920s Christmassy. But this story is just, it was fun. Mm-hmm. This is probably my favorite story. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This, to, this to me is, again, this was right, like, because I was a Marvel, a diehard Marvel fan for a few years. And this was right around when I started to get into DC, mostly because of the Batman movie, right? And so this was one of the earlier DC comics I had. But this was one of the stories that really showed me, I think, how DC was a little bit more, I'm not sure what the word is, but... Terrible? No. um, Sentimental, old-fashioned. Sappy? Maybe a little bit sappy. Like, you could definitely not see this same story with, like, Thor and Iron Man, right? Yeah, it'd be way better. Or the Hulk and uh, Black Widow. Like, this is definitely a DC-ish type of story. And these are DC characters. And that's why I love it. Which is really funny because the cinematic universe wins points with these this kind of uh, scene now. Mm-hmm. Like, where they're just talking and interacting as human heroes. Right, right, right. Yeah. And we so- fault DC for doing them this in their comics, but we reward Marvel cinematic universe for doing it in their films. So, mm-hmm. it's really weird. Anyway... Sitting around talking about Christmas, X-ray, <laughs> X-raying all of the gifts under the tree. <laughs> Cheaters. Cheaters. So Green Lantern and Flash are sitting around on the J- JLA satellite monitoring for calls or whatever it is they do. And um, they basically decide, okay, well, you know, we're bored, but um, yeah, let's go on an adventure. And so they basically beam down to Earth. And it's not snowing, but it's raining. And so they're kind of walking around, and they run into this old man who is getting mugged. So, so then they beat up the mugger. And um, one second here. And uh, and then basically once they, they, they discover that this guy is actually like a millionaire, I think. He's rich. He's one of the C- richest men in the world. Right, C.B. Fenster. And so he is kind of upset because... You know, I tonight I realized that humanity is worthless. Tonight I offered a fortune to any of my guests, the best and brightest, who could prove to me that there is a Santa Claus. All refused. They laughed. And so Flash and Green Lantern, well, actually Flash specifically, he gets an idea that they're going to prove to this guy that humanity is not as bad as, as he thinks it is. Oh, he also says, you know, People are different now. The difference is Santa Claus. When Santa Claus existed, he brought joy into the world. Now there's nothing. So for a kid who's reading this, obviously they think Santa Claus is real, right? And so this story is meant for them, right? So this guy is out to prove that this guy doesn't think Santa Claus still exists, but Flash and Green Lantern are going to prove he does exist. So they rush around and get him a cobbled together uh, Santa Claus costume, and then Green Lantern creates a sleigh made out of green energy, and Flash pulls it along because he's the fastest man alive. And then they decide they're going to... Uh, this is where it gets awesome. They're going to deliver gifts, gifts to all the boys and girls of the world. And so we get a scene where a boy, a young boy and girl are sitting up waiting for Santa, and um, <laughs> Green Lantern and Flash land on the roof. The guy doesn't know how he's going to get down the chimney, but I didn't know Green Lantern could do this. But he creates like this big, what do you call it, like a funnel. Yeah, and basically, funnel. I guess the idea is when, the, when, when this guy jumps into it, it's going to shrink him down and make him fit into the chimney. And so the, yes. the, yeah, so the kids are sitting there. See, Michael, I told you, it's been hours and no Santa. Yeah, Wandy, nuts. I probably should have bet you my video games didn't come. And then, of course, the guy com- comes, you know, tumbling down the chimney all the smoke, uh, you know, around him. And then he, he's got a little clipboard. He's like, okay, listen, kid, here's a teddy. Sign here, okay? I got to keep moving. Let's see. He said, put my finger aside of my nose. Whoosh. And then he goes back up the chimney, and then the boy says, well, we saw him. And the girl says, uh-huh. I thought it would be a bit, a little, a little more inspiring somehow. So obviously this is, you know, done for comedic effect. And then, you know, then the guy runs into a woman, and she's got a story, and she's, putting together a bike for her kids and she's single. And then I love it because they cut off in the middle of a conversation. And then when it cuts up to the, yeah. the scene of coming out of the chimney, Green Lantern's got a little um, stopwatch. And he's like, you're late. And then the guy says, sorry, the chain was twisted. And then Flash says, I don't want to know. And they just yeah. go on to the next thing. I love it. Great. Yeah, writing. basically that the, the chain was twisted. was, is a euphemism, right? He banged that lady, right? Oh yeah. Okay. That, that's why he was late. Oh, I got gotcha. you. They, okay. they made the sweet, sweet love under the Christmas tree. 
and Green Lantern and Flash are waiting up on the roof the whole time. Is that what happened? Yeah, that's what happened. A whole new dimension to this story. So, so anyway, so then, so then, oh, so then he um, drops in on this is a Jewish guy, right? And so the yeah. Jewish guy is, you know, he's very, an, he's very got, Jewish in the way he's talking. Yes, he's he's got the 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 New York Jewish accent. I don't know where they're supposed to be, but he's got the accent. And um, so this guy's in a good mood. Oh, and basically his story is that he's lonely. He just wants someone to talk to. <laughs> yeah. And so um, this. Fence, what it was it? The Fenster. Fenster gives him a teddy bear, and then he takes off, and then well, he jumps. Well, my favorite is the guy, before he leaves, he goes, uh, listen, Mr. Xanta, if you run into any of your elf friends, and they don't have a thing to do, uh, they just maybe want to talk. Uh, and <laughs> the uh, Santa guy goes, yeah, I'll tell him, and he just leaves. This yeah. guy is so lonely. Uh-huh. He's he's. he's begging, pleading for a human connection. And this Santa guy goes, yeah, yeah, I'll tell him. See you later, buddy. And he just leaves. <laughs> well, it is kind of sad. I, I think there's a there's a layer of melancholy underneath the whole story, but whatever. But um, so then it goes from there. So then they all, uh, they're almost done. But you pull out the phone book oh. to see who they've missed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they basically say, well, we failed, Mr. Fenster. Santa Claus never overlooks anyone. Um, yeah, well, they missed one house. Right, because they missed really one house, so the failed. whole mission was a bust. Yeah. And the guy's like, well, I, I guess that's true. And then Green Lantern says, then I guess we'll be leaving. Sorry we wasted your time, Fenster. And they leave. <laughs> but then Fenster sees a car, and he walks over to the car. And, and earlier, so yeah, so this, this is why they missed the house, is because the there was a fire at the house, and the family is now living in this car. And so they show the mother with the two kids <laughs> sleeping in the back seat, and then the, the father's in the front seat. Um, and then basically he says, well, um, you know, so he's like, uh, what does he say here? Um, uh, but if you, you know, the guy says, you know, but if you've got more toys, why not take them down the street to the shelter? There are people that are worse off than us. So basically the guy learns a lesson that it's all, you know, relative and this Fester guy, learns a lesson, yeah, Fester, Harper. yeah, Fester learns a lesson that this guy just lost his house, but he's still got the spirit of Christmas in him. Right. Because and he so, has two, he has two gifts for his wife, Michael. This guy. Exactly. Tell, tell them what the gifts are. Do you remember? A, what is it? A rose. A, a silk, silk flower. A can of sardines. <laughs> silk favorite. Exactly. And a a silk flower, sardines. because that won't wilt in the cold. <laughs> so you got to appreciate what you got, right? Of all the things they could have picked, a can of sardines. <laughs> I love <true>. sardines. <laughs> Yikes. I had I'm vegetarian and I love sardines. But anyway. <laughs> it's so weird. So, right. so they reconvene with Flash and Green Lantern, and then Flash is talking to Fenster, and you can see in the background Green Lantern, oh, because he's a superhero. He's got little sock puppets made out of green energy, and he's entertaining the kids with them. And Flash is talking to Fenster, and he's like, We had a hunch, two hunches, actually. One was one was where we might find the Harpers, the other where we would finally find the Santa you've been looking for. So Harper, or Fenster realizes all along he was the Santa he was looking for, right? And then at the end of the story... Yeah, because it, it may have slipped his, uh, you know, his awareness when he was dressed as Santa going around all the houses in the world <laughs> delivering presents. He probably never realized throughout that whole time that he was actually the Santa. Well, this brings it all home. Brings it, it all just, back it home. It just dawned right? on him all of a sudden. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah, I'm Santa. Yikes. Right. Uh, so then at the end, everyone is now in um, the Jewish guy's house, right? Yep. And they're all celebrating Christmas, even though he's Jewish. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, Green Entrance says, oh, so then the guy, so the Jewish guy says, well, and isn't this nice? And then Green Entrance says, we can, we, we do what we can, sir. Happy Hanukkah, Flash. And Flash says, and a Merry Christmas to you, pal. End. Uh, again, in my version of the story, when they all show up at that guy's apartment to party, they open the door and he he has hung himself. <laughs> I was going to say the Jewish guy is definitely dead in your story. Yeah. So. Oh, oh, do you know what? I almost forgot about the next one. Mm-hmm. I forget it. The Batman ones or the uh, the war story is not my favorite. This one is my favorite. This one is great. Yeah, I actually, this next one is actually my favorite as well. Um, but yeah, that's that lantern and flash one. That was 
not I didn't like that at all. You were a superhero fun. I did not like that. I guess my I'm going to challenge you. Do you do you even love superheroes, Mike Dell? (laughs) Yes, I do. Because this is a superhero fun story, and that's why I love it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Okay, so in this last story, we should give a little bit of setup for people that don't know who Dead Man is. Dead Man is kind of a superhero, but he's actually (laughs) dead. And he really has no superpowers other than being able to possess. Insert himself. Yeah, like basically he possesses people, and then while he's possessing them, um, they're like, not aware of what's going on and then he possesses them for a few hours then he leaves them and then they have no memory of what happened right kind of like uh uh the he's the hypnol of superheroes the what (laughs) the uh the uh essentially yeah the date rape drug of superheroes okay okay yeah that's what i was going for i guess but you know what it kind of reminds me of quantum leap wasn't that what quantum leap was where he was in their body but they weren't conscious or something. He was the one that was conscious of Quantum Leap, right? Am I right about that? I, I never know. watched Quantum Leap. Okay. It's kind of, I think it's similar to this. But anyway, <laughs> that was time travel. <laughs> but here's the thing. I had no knowledge of Dead Man at all until this. Okay. Like, I, I had seen pictures of him occasionally, occasionally, and I always thought he looked pretty cool, but I, I had no concept of him. Uh, so t- tell the kids uh, the backstory of Dead Man, Micah. Wasn't he like a uh, carnival performer? Yeah, I believe he was, and then during one of his stunts, he was murdered, and then he woke up, or whatever you want to say, as this ghost, and he's still wearing his circus costume that he had when he was a, a normal person. So his real name is Boston Brand, but now he's a, sort of a superhero, but the problem is is that, like we said, he's a ghost, so he can only interact with people by possessing other like people that are alive. And so, for example, there's stories where, you know, in Brave and the Bold where he'll team up with Batman, but he's never really visible to Batman. He has to, like, possess other people, I think, as far as I know. Yeah. I got to tell you, uh, this was my first experience with the Dead Man, <coughs> and I'm a big fan. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was uh, – I, I like the concept. Well, it, it, like I said, it would be a great concept for, like, a TV show like Quantum Leap where every episode – Right, he could possess a different person and then have a little adventure. The adventure wraps up, and then he just goes on to the next adventure. Right? Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely a cool idea. And so, so yeah, so Dead Man basically is scoping out a man named John Turner Danforth, forty-five years old, another like just rich white guy. Let's steal <laughs> his life for a day. And, and just that's a little bit like I like the concept, but that's strange. That's well, he he bit. doesn't. He just goes into his uh, body so he can send some uh, perfume, some expensive perfume to his former love at the carnival. Oh, is that what he did? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. The Hill Brothers Circus. Okay. Yeah, so he's basically just swiping money out of this rich guy to give a present, a Christmas present to his former love. And then he just leaves that guy's body and he floats around. So then, yeah, he's floating around and then he leaves the guy. And then there's a great part on the second page or third page where he says, Christmas is not my, this is dead men talking. Christmas is not my favorite time of year. Too much, too damn much goodwill floating around. Not enough for me to do too much time to be alone, right? So dead man is sad. And so then he floats over to the skating rink and he possesses the body of the, a girl who's skating. Then he jumps over to a, a different guy, to a guy who's skating with a different girl. And there's actually a funny part where he's like, good yeah. body. <laughs> Strong, athletic, and ah, uh, aroused. Definitely aroused. <laughs> yes, this Christmas issue is very sexual in nature. We had uh, Superman being a prostitute. We had the Santa Claus uh, having uh, sweet, sweet love with that lady under the Christmas tree. And now we have this. He's aroused. Definitely mm-hmm. aroused. <laughs> and so it's actually pretty cool because then um, the guy starts making out with a girl. So, so dead man, I, I think originally was like, okay, well, I'm going to get out of here. Then the guy starts making out with a girl. So then dead man's like, ah, what the hell? It's just a party. Right? So he's going to continue to possess this guy's body throughout yeah. the rest of however long it takes. So they go to this little Christmas get together. They're all hanging out and he, and he's kind of narrating. He's like, you know, I pick up the names pretty quickly. Most of them I can glean from the tags and the presents. They're nice people, nice, normal people. And I'm one of them. And it kind of goes from there. And then he kind of realizes, you know, he's like, I would, I would, you know, it's, it's like any Christmas Eve I ever had as a kid when dad would carry in the bird and cleave it and cleave and I would carve it and 
mom would serve us yams and stuffing, except it's not. It's not my Christmas at all. It's his, Paul's. So then he feels guilty, and he decides to leave the guy, right, and let him have his Christmas back, right? So then he takes off, and he floats off to find the next adventure. And then, of course, he's got to have a little melodramatic scene. This is where... um, so this is kind of tying into Dead Man's Origin, how he got his powers. Damn you, Rama or Rama. <laughs> is this the reward I get for serving you and your damn lords of order? Am I supposed to be grateful for this? So then he's all down on himself. But then, all of a sudden, out of the blue, this woman walks up. Now, as we pointed out earlier, Dead Man is a ghost, right? So no one can see him, including superheroes like Batman and Superman. But someone walks up and starts talking to him. What? You can see me? Obviously, cute costume, very seasonal. So this blonde woman starts talking to him, and they kind of start swapping stories, basically. And then um, they're kind of walking around, hanging out, chatting, and she pulls off his mask and can see what he really looks like. Yeah, yeah. see, this is what uh, confused. This is what I didn't like. I didn't like the fact, is this really a mask? So he doesn't really look like that? That's... As far as I know, yeah, that's what's funny is Dead Man does not look like that. That's just his hot, his um, circus mask. But for some reason, he continues to wear it. Yes, that's what I don't like. I, I want him to look, because for those who have never seen Dead Man, he's like uh, bald uh, in white, uh, mm-hmm. like a, uh, almost like Solomon Grundy, you know, sure. without hair. And uh, so he looks like a cadaver, kind of. And he's in a, a fancy red outfit with a big high collar and elf boots. And he's got a big D on his belly. Um, so I, I like the uh, outfit. I like the look of the character. But I don't like the idea that it's a mask. I want him to actually look like that. You know what's funny is they did like a reboot in the 90s where he looked like a zombie. Like skeletal with bones sticking out. But it didn't really last. So I think they tried your idea. Well, well I like I like this look. I just don't make it a mask. Just make. Yeah, it no, I, I know. I know what you're saying. Like, yeah, make him actually be zombie-esque. Yeah. White skin and yep. yeah, I know what you mean. Because he, they take the mask off and he's a uh, handsome fella, right? You know? Just a regular guy, yeah. So it's kind of weird that Ghost is wearing this. Yeah, no, no one can see you. Why are you still wearing the mask? Yeah, good point. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. Okay, that's fine. So then, basically, again, he's kind of depressed. It's Christmas. He's alone. So this woman kind of again talks him off the ledge. Suicide is kind of a th- running theme in this book. <laughs> yes. And um, so then she's like, okay, well, I've got to go. I have business to attend to. Merry Christmas, Boston. Hey, wait a minute. You didn't explain. Who are you? How can you see me? I, I don't even know your name. And then she says, my name is Kara, though I doubt that'll mean anything to you. And then he says, she was right. It didn't. I still don't <laughs> know anything about her other than what she gave me that night. And I will, and I've got the feeling I never will. Like maybe that was the whole point. Merry Christmas, Kara, whoever you are. Then yeah, it yeah. says, respect and admiration for the works of Otto Binder and Jim Moody. We still remember. Okay, what were you gonna say, Mike Dell? Oh uh, well, yeah, she gave him a little pep talk because he wasn't feeling like you know a hero or he was just miserable. And she has a really good line here somewhere about uh, um, why they do what they do, being heroes. And now I can't really find it. Um... Oh, we do we do it because it needs to be done. Because if we don't, no one else will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's supposed to be Supergirl. There you go. Jolie figured it out. This is Supergirl. Okay. Yeah. See, I had no idea. Like when she said her name was Kara, I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. So I ha- actually had to look it up. And then well, when I saw Supergirl, oh, like this, I'm sure like longtime DC readers would obviously recognize her right away by the uh, the name and the, her appearance. And she also has the red earrings. I'm guessing that's a distinctive trait of Supergirl. Did she wear the red earrings? Or? Maybe at the time. I don't remember. But the, the important thing to, to know is that Supergirl was dead at this time. She had yeah. died in Crisis on Infinite, Infinite Earths in 1985-86. But not only was Supergirl dead, she was erased from continuity. So she didn't exist. Okay? Uh, Except for... To be the ghost of Christmas past here. Right. So <laughs> yeah. when, th- when this issue came out, now this is the one thing I don't understand about how DC uh, and Marvel work, is that, you know how DC, or you know how Marvel had the editor-in-chief, they'd have Jim Shooter, then later they had Tom DeFalco. Well, DC had the same thing, except he had a different title, but they had a president and a publisher. So there was definitely someone who was calling the shots, right? But somehow, despite the fact that Supergirl did not exist in continuity... DC was able to publish this story 
and it pissed off the people who were doing Superman at the time. So the editor of Superman at the time was Mike Carlin. This book was edited by Mark Wade, okay? But the okay. other thing is, is the artist on this was Dick Giordano, who was, I believe, the vice president of DC. So I think it was kind of an FU to the DC, you know, editors who had erased Supergirl from continuity. And here we have Dick Giordano and Mark Wade saying, you know what, screw it. We're going to let this guy do what he wants. He's got Supergirl in the story. We're going to let it go through. And so this basically created a continuity, you know, kind of blunder. But, you know, fans liked it and Mark Wade liked it. So they got away with it. Yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, it's yeah. not like, uh, again, no, he doesn't know who she is. He doesn't know the name because she never existed, right? So right. she's just kind of living off in a limbo somewhere. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I enjoy it. And uh, the Dick Giordano art was great. This is like classic comic book art. Right, uh, right. It was awesome. So, yeah, I was a big fan of this Dead Man thing. Jolie, what? did you like the Dead Man? I, yeah, I think that, that was one of the first things I said was this one was yeah. fun. Um, just purely because of who Dead Man is. It's, we, it's, it's strange what he does. Um, <laughs> it shouldn't be a premise for a book, yet it is. <laughs> I want to see a TV show. <laughs> like, I want yep. to see a movie. I want stuffed toys. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Dead, <laughs> Just weird. Just like, it's like a culmination of all of the stuff that we, like the uh, covertly sexual stuff we read. And it's just like, <laughs> for lack of the, a better word, exploded into the last story. <laughs> erupted. The book erupted <laughs> into the final story, the final and best story, I guess. I also want to ask, so, so Mike Dell, you didn't do any research into the writer here, Al Alan Brenner, right? No, oh, I did not. So he's actually a author, television producer, and screenwriter. And I know his name because he did like a handful of Batman stories for DC, but apparently he's been working in TV for decades. He wrote for the one Roman TV series, Buck Rogers, LA law, the new twilight zone, outer limits, Stargate Atlantis, Star Trek enterprise. And so he's like an established writer. And so I think he's done, like I said, a handful of Batman stories that have all been collected. So you can get whatever his five or 10 stories altogether. But other than that, I'm looking at his bibliography. He's only done like maybe three comics for Marvel and maybe like seven comics for DC. So this is um, one of the few uh, stories he did in comics. So, Oh, oh so yeah. he wasn't even like a regular dead, did dead man have a series? Like he did. He did at one point, but not during this time period. No. Oh, so this, cause when I was reading this, I just figured, Oh, well, this guy's probably the regular dead man writer. Cause no, uh, no. Cause he really gives you a glimpse inside the character here. Like I feel I know dead man now since I've read this. Um, I, I would be intrigued to read more Dead Man. I think this is the stuff from DC I like. This kind of stuff and like the old, uh, like All Star Squadron we've talked about before, sure. the older heroes. Okay. Like, like the the original Sandman and, uh, sure. you know, the Spectre, like yep, that kind yep. of stuff. That's what I like from DC. Doctor Fate. That kind oh, of yeah. Stuff. Some good stuff yeah. there. But you don't, what about Hal Jordan and Barry Allen in the, the other stories? Eh, not a fan. Okay. <laughs> nope. I mean, that's understandable. Like, the, the old Justice Society characters are a different vibe, and I definitely like them, too, so I can understand why I like them. So but then uh, the issue ends with a little note from uh, Mark Wade, the editor. Right. Oh, and yeah. It, again, this is Jolie. Like, the, the tone of this issue is very weird. Uh, like you said, very uh, sexual underneath the surface and a lot of suicidal stuff and, like, depression. <laughs> and then in this little story Mark Wade tells about the death of John Lennon. Merry yeah. Christmas. It's like, <laughs> I, and, and do you know what, it, do you know what, it really kind of, it wraps it up nicely because I was like, where are they going with all these stories? Like, what is the common connector? And he, Mark Wade tells this great story about how he's working at college radio in 1980 and that's when the news came in that John Lennon had been shot outside of his home mm -hmm. and him and his friends are at this radio station reminiscing and talking about John Lennon, and they're together. Mm -hmm. And that's what this whole strange issue <laughs> of Christmas stories is about. It's about being together during really emotionally, like, vibrant times. Mm -hmm. And, like, whether it's divorce or thoughts of suicide or um, ghosts of Christmas past haunting you uh, in the streets of New York, like, <laughs> uh, 
or people just not believing in Santa. Like this, what rich guy, rich guys have existential crises too. Like it's a, it's the, the common denominator that'll save us all is together. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like when Batman ate that bad chili and then Alfred was there to help him out of the Batmobile. The same they were in it together. Togetherness. Yeah. <laughs> together. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So an interesting issue overall, Michael. Um, mm-hmm. There's a reason I read it every year at Christmas. <laughs> Love it. Cause you're a lonely, lonely man. Is that yeah. why? Or, um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I've, I, every year I've, I've got a gun pointed to my chin. <laughs> I read this issue and then I'm a okay. <laughs> oh, that's Thank God this Merry issue. Merry Christmas, is... everybody. Good <laughs> fantasy listeners. Anyway. So, Jolie, one out of ten, what would you give Christmas with the Superheroes number two? I give Christmas with the Superheroes number two a solid three. Yeah. Out of ten. And I give Mark Wade's really awesome, like, backup text story about John Lennon, like a ten. That was the wow. best part. It really wrapped it up for me. And I was like, you know what? That just made this whole slog <laughs> 100% better. And um, the joy about having um, the actual issue is that you get these really fun, like, photos of Conan <laughs> in advertisements. But oh, I mean, yeah, the, ads. The, the Mark, the Mark Wade, uh, the digital copy that I read had the letter from Mark Wade um, included, and it was like the best thing I've ever read. Like <laughs> I've listened to him at co- conventions. Mm-hmm. He's just such a good reteller of stories, and even this big letter, like mm-hmm. it just it, it made it made this okay. Joy, it pushed this into the the five zone. Oh, okay. Five uh, five out of ten. Oh. Three is. I feel like I'm being rude to a Christmas spirit by giving it a three, so I'll give it a five. Mike L, I know you're going ten, right? You love this. No, I'll, I'll give it an eight. I mean, I like I like every story to varying degrees. <laughs> I like all the writing, all the art to varying degrees. So definitely an eight out of ten. So it's a polite assessment. I like every one of them to varying degrees. Well, no, what I mean is I didn't dislike any of the writing and I didn't dislike any of the art. Some I like more than I, others, you know. I disliked a lot of the writing and I disliked a lot of the art. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go for three. Uh, I have no problem offending the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> but I, I really like the dead man. Uh, I would be intrigued to read more dead man. So uh-huh. that, that's good. And uh, the war story was kind of nifty. Um, but the others just uh, were brutal to me. What about Batman? I, it just seemed to, I, I enjoyed the art. And uh, you know what, Michael? I'll give it a four because I forgot about it. But it just seemed like a little depressing overall. Um, the issue or the Batman story? The Batman story. Yeah, and, yeah. And the issue a little bit overall. I don't know. So I'll give it a four uh, just because you mentioned that story and I forgot how much I like the art. Okay. But uh, overall, yeah. I w- the big takeaway from this is Dead Man for me. Okay. Um, so. Well, Dead Man, I, I don't know if you're a Neil Adams fan, but Dead Man does have many stories drawn by Neil Adams. So maybe check those out. All right. Yeah. Maybe on a future issue of Flea Market Fantasy. There you go. <laughs> I guess that wraps up the big Christmas episode of Flea Market Fantasy. Actually, the second Christmas episode this month, right? Yes. Thank God there are no more holidays. Wait, you're not going to do like a uh, St. Valentine's Day special issue? Well, you just wait until we get to President's Day, okay? (laughs) Then you're going to see some holiday spirit. (laughs) All right. Can't wait. (laughs) All right. Until next week, this has been Flea Market Fantasy. See you next time. (laughs) 